Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing, glorious grace that you have showered on us. You have been faithful through the ages. You are good and gracious, and you show mercy to us who deserve something unspeakable because of our wickedness. But Lord, we thank you for sending your Son We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray for any soul here today who does not know your great name. Lord, that you would make the heart awaken because that is what you do by your power. Lord, I pray for for all of us here who trust in you and believe in you that you would strengthen our faith and encourage our faith. May we walk with you in obedience fully trusting what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one week ago, sometime during the service, there was a tragic accident that we all have been hearing about continually. Nine people go down in a helicopter in a neighboring county in Los Angeles. And of those nine people, one of them being really famous, Kobe, along with kids and parents, as I've heard the tragic story told and listened for the names of who was involved, my heart was broken. When they woke up that morning, young or old, They could not have imagined what was coming. They did not know that they would wake up, and that day would be their last day on earth. They could not have known, could they have? The very next day, on Monday, my kids contact me, my wife contacts me, and says there's been a terrible accident in front of the school. They're in high school. And at high school age, that is a season of life when people are getting licenses and driving for the first time in a, one of the most dangerous places on the planet to drive, one of. And they called to let me know that there's been a terrible accident, that a student, that a high school student crashed into another student who, who was walking. It was horrible. Injured terribly. Internal injuries, head injuries, though not dead, the recovery is going to be long and terrible, most likely. Could you imagine being the driver so young, not knowing that that day would be the day that you would crash into another human being? Could you imagine the trauma? Or how about the person that was actually hit? And now has all these memory issues, and the first words out of the person's mouth were, what happened? Days later after the accident. Could you imagine? Neither one of them had any idea that that was going to be the day that could be life transforming. Imagine the parents. On either side, the brokenness. How could this happen to my child crashing into another person? Or, how could this happen to my... Thank you, Lord, that my child is alive. But what, what's next? 
They had no idea that that would be the day. There could be a complete change in their life. For us, more than 12 years ago, this particular day marks the day that I got that terrible phone call when I was up at a youth camp with kids and some, some, a student was using one of my phone, we're getting in the bus, we're about to leave, and I, he hands me the phone and I find out my wife is, is frantically trying to call. There's been tons and tons of phone calls and messages on my phone trying to get a hold of me because her dad, my father-in-law, has collapsed with a massive aortic tear, Super Bowl Sunday. He never could have imagined that would have been the day that he would collapse. All he could imagine was a fun-filled, joyous day when family would come over and we would eat food and drink good drink and just be together and laugh. And he would, could be the father-in-law and host. He had no clue that within days he would be in eternity. Neither one of us knows when our last day will be. We do not know the last day that we will take our last breath, because that's one of the ways that we can leave this world. The other way would be that Jesus would return. We do not know, therefore, when Jesus will return, according to Jesus. We don't know, do we? In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus said that the Son doesn't know, but the Father only. So what does Jesus tell us about this in response to this amazing truth that we don't know when that comes? What we see in the passage of Scripture that, we'll, that we came out of and what we're going into is this, that Jesus' response to this truth that we do not know when he will arrive is for us to be ready, for us to be prepared. And if we are to be ready or prepared, as the Scriptures tell us to be, what does it mean to be prepared? What does it look like to be prepared for the arrival of the Son of God in his glory? He tells us to be ready. In other words, to be prepared for his return. For we do not know when he will return. And if we do not know when he will return, we must be ready and prepared. And what does it mean then to be prepared for this Jesus who will return? And it is good news that he will return. I just lighten it for a moment. This week, um, tragically, I went to sit in my Nissan Murano, and for whatever reason, I'm not sure at this point, the chair broke completely sideways. I had no idea that I'd wake up that particular day, sit in my car seat, and I would break the welding from this amazingly crafted machine called the Nissan Murano. Do you hear that, Nissan? My petite body, in all its petite glory, that eats like a bird, practically vegetarian, from, in my opinion, broke the chair of the car. I told my wife, I think, you can laugh, I think that we should take this car to the desert and we should shoot it and we should light it on fire. And, and, and then just leave it. I'm still, like, rather upset about that car. I had no idea. We are trying to figure out what is next with a car. You never know the day your car will just die on you. And ours is on its way out. It, or at least we're driving sideways for now. Jesus says in Matthew 25, please turn there, Matthew 25. Matthew 25. 
He says that the kingdom will be like ten virgins, he says. Now, when Jesus talks about this story and he mentions ten virgins, what he's talking about is a wedding. Now, a wedding in Jesus' day would be something like this. It would actually last a few days or so, maybe longer. It's hard to know exactly, but the festivities would, would go for, for a season of time. It's a big party. And what would happen in their day was the bridegroom would, at some point, leave his home to, with his, his help and, and friends and so forth and family and go get the bride. And all the, the virgins, which you will see in the text, in other words, young maidens, because this is a young woman getting married, so you're assuming this is, these are young women, possibly not, ma- not married, these young virgins, because she's a young woman herself, um, are going to be picked up, and they're going to light their, their, they're not flashlights, but you can think of them that way, their lanterns, their little ceramic pottery, almost looks like a little old school, like a little genie thing, but it's like clay. These lanterns to light the way. And some scholars say that perhaps this would help indicate that they were part of the wedding part. Uh, they were part of the wedding crowd as well, so that you know to prohibit any anyone trying to trying to jump in or crash the party, so to speak. But they would, so the the bridegroom would come and, and they would all go together and they would caravan down the down the the street or where, however long that was to where the party would be. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like ten virgins. Five wise and five foolish ones. Now, according to Jesus, the wise ones would come with um, extra oil in their flask. They would bring a flask of extra oil because they would need that to light the way. Apparently, it's going to be in the evening, this walk. And the foolish ones did not. So eventually, time would go on and people would get tired and the, 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 the ladies would fall asleep because the bridegroom would delay. You see, Let me explain something to all the young people. In their day, there were no cell phones. And there's no way to communicate that. Well, I guess there's ways, but I don't know how far that distance would be, village to village or so forth. But he's going to show up when he's going to show up, and they just need to be ready. And so the wise ones are ready with extra oil. The foolish ones are not prepared. They are not ready with extra oil. They're going to fall asleep. The bridegroom starts to show up. And there's a big announcement. The bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is here. Meet the bridegroom. Meet the bridegroom. And they're scrambling. And in the text, you see, like, they're, they're trimming the little wick, you know, and preparing this. And the foolish ones say to the wise ones, give us some of your, you know, can we have some oil? And the wise ones say, no, 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 there's not enough for all of us. Could you imagine them scrambling, just getting ready, you know, like they're getting ready for this, this wedding thing. They're supposed to be ready, and they're scrambling. And the wise ones say to the foolish ones, go to the buyers and get more. And while the bridegroom shows up, and while those un- the foolish ones are out in their lack of preparedness, they, they miss the party, so to speak. They, they literally miss the party. And so they who are ready go to the lavish feast, the party, and the door is shut. And the door is shut on them. And what the scripture says in verse 11, is that after the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour. That's what Jesus says. 
In the story, Jesus is the bridegroom. In the Old Testament, um, we see that the scriptures tell us repeatedly that there's a reference to God being represented as a bridegroom. The most intimate rela human relationship that we could imagine, by the way. The proper one. A married man and woman. Married together. It's the most intimate human relationship. And yet that picture is painted in the Old Testament repeatedly about God as it relates to his people. And what, that is, what does that indicate? Relationship, intimacy, on the most profound level. The bridegroom shows up, and the unwise maidens, they miss the party. And what Jesus says, and the point of the passage is this, therefore you don't know when he will show up. Therefore you ought to be ready. So what Jesus is crying out here is that you do not know, that we do not know when Jesus will show up. But we need to be ready, and we need to be prepared for when he does. So what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be prepared for the coming of Jesus? In the next parable, Jesus answers that. And he tells us the story of talents. He says, for the kingdom of God will be like someone who had some property and is going to go on a long journey and he has these servants and he is going to give them these different talents. Now you're in luck that our word for talent has a similar sound to the original language. In fact, we, we borrow it from that and it goes more general, but let me just kind of give you an idea of what it is. And so you have this person who has this property and is going to entrust his property to these servants and he's going to hand out what the scriptures say are talents. Well, what are talents in this passage? Well, talents in this passage is this measurement of money. And the point is, it's a rather large sum of money. Now, people have discussions and debates exactly what it is, but it's actually a lot. And where there's some agreement is the idea that a, ta a talent would be about um, 20 years worth of wage. 20 years. And the word is very similar to English. In fact, when we talk about our talents, we talk about these, these treasures, these things that we can do. They are treasures. They're valuable, aren't they? Um, uh, he, he's saying, look, he's going to hand these things out. And so he has three different people that he's going to hand these talents out to. The first one, the first servant that he gives talents to, he gives five talents. And the person that gets those talents, what he does is immediately puts it to work. The second person gets two talents, not five. It is not as much as the first. It's, it's two instead of five. It's still substantial, though. And then the last gets one, and not two, and not five. However, it's, uh, we need to understand that the one talent that the master gives to his servant is still rather substantial. It's 20 years' wage. It's valuable. And this is the thing that we need to see in the text. That as the master gives these to, the, to his servants, he is giving them according to their ability. They all have a different ability. And the master is aware of that. He gives it to them. So the one that gets five and the one that gets two, they put it to work right away. But the third does not go to work with it. He does something radically different than the others. You know what he does? He takes the talent that the master has given and he buries it. He puts it in the ground. 
Why does he put it in the ground? Why does he bury it? Well, he buries it because he is, number one, afraid of his master. And number two, he really doesn't understand his master. He's afraid, and he does not understand his master. So listen to how the master responds to him. There comes a day of reckoning, and I want to address the, the, five, the one who was given five and the one that was given two as well. There comes a day of reckoning when the master comes. And so, and just, so first, just, just hear how he responds to them. His response to the first is in verse, in verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, beginning with five talents more. And say, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have five talents more. So he has doubled what he's put to work. His master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into my joy. So the first one that he gives five to, the one who had put it to work, the master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to get more responsibility. And thirdly, enter my joy. The second is like that. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the third goes differently. This is how the third goes. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. What does he mean by that? Hopefully it's very obvious on some level because it is. I perceive you to be a hard master, sowing where you, excuse me, reaping where you did not sow gathering where you did not scatter. What is he saying to his master? Well, he has a misconception of his master, and he thinks his master's a thief. Doesn't he? He does not see his master as he ought to. And as the parable goes on, this is, this is what happens. So, in verse 25, so I was afraid, and I went and I hid. I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here, have what is yours. Have it back. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, is how the master answers him. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I scattered no seed. Now, don't get lost in the parable. By the way, Jesus can use the, uh, even like an evil accusation idea to make a point. It doesn't mean that the master is evil. He's making a point. He's making a point about a wicked and evil servant who is lazy, who does not understand his master. By the way, isn't this the way people are around Jesus? Those who are accusing him and hate him and want to crucify him, is it not because they do not understand their God? And so they're afraid. He's afraid, and he does this. Then you ought to have invested, in verse 27, in my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with my, with my own interests. So take the talent from him, 
and give it to him who has ten talents. In other words, those that reproduced more of their talents were given even more. In addition, it was taken away from the wicked servant. For to everyone who has will more be given. Do you see that? And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, the faithful servant will be given more, but the wicked servant will be just judgment. Listen to the judgment. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not the first time that Matthew has used this idea. It is the idea of hell. What is weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, it's awful. It's eternal regret. In addition to whatever hell looks like, eternal conscious punishment. Regret. So what do we see here? We see a servant who does not understand his master, who is wicked and lazy, in contrast to a servant who is faithful. So in answering the question, what does it look like what does it mean to be ready for the coming of the Lord, who you do not know when he will show up? What it means to be ready in light of the Lord who is coming is to be faithful with what the master has given you. What does it mean for us to be faithful with what the master has given each one of us? Well, he has given us the gospel, and he has given us all kinds of different talents, and we can use that word all kinds of treasure from his treasure chest of gifts to be used in all kinds of way for his kingdom. It is to be invested and it is not to be buried. And yet it is so tempting to do that. It is so tempting to not, to not recognize God for who he is and misunderstand God and do what the wicked servant do, which is what does he do? He blames God. Because of his lack of understanding of who God is, he blames others. He blames God for his slothfulness, his wickedness in burying his treasure and just giving it back to God. I'm just giving back to you what was yours in the first place instead of investing it. But what Jesus is saying is, be ready. In other words, be prepared for my coming. For you do not know when the bridegroom will come. And when the bridegroom comes, it is good news. By the way, where do we see the gospel in this passage? And how does it connect to the rest of the story overall? Man, hear this. Hear the story of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Good God. A good and righteous and holy and perfect God makes a garden a place to, to be in relationship with God. And when he puts man in there with, with a woman... It doesn't take long, however long that was, for sin to enter the world and for them to, to mess up the relationship with their God, with our God. But here's the thing. God has a rescue plan that's absolutely amazing. They realized their nakedness, and yet there was one who was going to come who would be naked and crucified on the cross so that we could be clothed, by the way. And God clothed them. And he makes promises to them. And he starts with a new family, right? Noah and his household. And he shelters them in the ark. And then he continues to, to provide the same type of sheltering with an entire people, with Israel. 
And he says, this is what it means to be in relationship with me. And here is the law. Here is the good law so that you will know how to, to, to be in relationship with me. And here's sacrifices to deal with your sin. But don't worry, there's a better sacrifice coming. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God comes, according to Matthew. The promised Messiah, the King. And you see, Jesus is on, is on the road where he's going to be crucified and he's going to die for sinners. And Jesus, who is the Israel that went into the wilderness, who did not sin, even though the other Israel did, is, Jesus is the better Israel who went into the wilderness and did not sin. He is the better Moses that, who mediates between God and man in a way that Moses never could have, according to the Gospel of Matthew. He is the promised king. And he comes, he's going to die on the cross, right? And Jesus is heading down that road to die on the cross. But he's not just going to die on the cross. He's going to raise in power from the grave. And then he's going to stand before his disciples and he says, hey, go and make disciples to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. And lo, I am with you until the end. Jesus has been telling them before he leaves them that he will return. The bridegroom will return, brothers and sisters. And Jesus' point here today is that the bridegroom comes when you do not expect it. And the maidens needed to be prepared and ready for his arrival. And they are not to be lazy and wicked like the servant who buried the talent, the treasure that God had given them to use for his kingdom and for his glory. But they did not. And it is tempting for us to do the same. But be assured, do not be afraid. Trust in your God, brothers and sisters. As you put your trust in Jesus, remember that he died for you and he clothes you in his righteousness and that he will return one day as he promised. And our responsibility is this, to be ready. And so the prepared and the ready servant of God who doesn't take the treasure that he gives and buries it, but instead lets it shine and utilizes his car with the broken seat for the glory of God and the kingdom. The faithful servant who is ready and prepared for the coming of the Lord uses his home or her home and his and her friendships for the glory of God and for the kingdom. God has placed every single one of us among people that do not know God. And we have every opportunity in the world to not just be friends with him, but to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. Every one of us, don't bury it. Do not dare bury it in the ground. Do not do it. How could we? It's too beautiful and too glorious. So I want to encourage bro you, brothers and sisters, along with my own soul, to see a world around us in the household that we live in and the city that we live in, to be on mission with God and say, Lord, I want to be prepared I want to just let the floodgate of the truth of your gospel come out of my mouth to every friend and neighbor. May they know your amazing name. I think we all have stories of people we've known where we didn't take the opportunity that God had given us, perhaps, to share the gospel. 
and then it was too late. And I know that the Lord is sovereign. But man, doesn't he put it in our hands to share the good news of his gospel? I mean, last week, like it was so real, right? Someone that maybe most of us perceived as superhuman, who is not supposed to die in a helicopter crash, perishes. And kids, children, who are thinking, I'm just so glad to be with my friend, my mom and dad's with me. Little do they know, that would be the end. We do not know the day we'll take our last breath. We do not know when Jesus will return, but he will return, and it is good news. The bridegroom comes, guys, and we will be glad and rejoice. In fact, what, Jesus, what does Jesus say about it? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I have more for you. I don't know what that looks like in eternity, but it sounds like more responsibility and cool stuff. Cool with God, like somehow, like, awesome. And then he says, enter my joy. Don't forget that we will enter the master's joy. So what do we do with this? What we do is we do not dare bury it. But instead, what we do is we proclaim the truth of the gospel to all that God had put us in presence with. I was reminded by hearing another story yesterday of my own story where opportunities had come in my life where I have perhaps not done the best job that I could of proclaiming and sharing the gospel with someone that I had the opportunity with. I remember this, someone who lived right across the street from me his name was Bucky. And at the time, he was about 73, like a strong 73. Um, you know, like, would load his boat and go fish and was retired. And they were so kind. He and his wife were just, just, they were just older and retired and just really kind to us. And we wanted to get to know them and love them and, and be on mission as a couple. And they loved our kids and they would give us little, um, just, treats that they weren't supposed to give our kids, <laughs> and um, little, little stuffed animals, which our kids have to this day. They're disgusting, but they have them to this day. They're all worn out. Sorry, kids. Mom threw it away last week. And Bucky and I would have these talks when we'd go fishing. I called them old man in the sea, by the way. We'd go have these talks, and I, and I wanted to share the gospel, and I would invite him to church here and there, and he didn't, he, he didn't really want to. He had some church hurt in the back, and I didn't really know, and he wasn't really willing to uncover. And as I think of that relationship, I wonder, was I as crystal clear as possible in proclaiming who Jesus wa was and what he did for sinners? And that, hey, man, you can know him. Do you want to know him? Looking back, I don't know how clear I was. And so what I want to tell you is take the talent that God has given you whether car or house or opportunity or lost person, to be bold and courageous and share the good news of the gospel. You know, I had the privilege and the sorrow of doing his memorial service. It broke my heart. You know, one day I just remember getting the call and we went to go in the hospital and he had a horrible stroke. And he couldn't talk. He could not communicate. I had no idea what he was saying. 
I remember being at his bedside. Saying, man, this is the gospel you wanted. And I don't know what he said. We all have that. I want to tell you, man, at Branches, it's all about know, grow, and go, period. If you don't like that, man, there's other churches. Because <laughs> we are about knowing God and growing, and we will do our best to disciple you and go on mission. Because there's a lost and perishing world around us. So you are, if you're with us, then come with us. And we're going to do our best to reach a lost world. Let's do our, let's, let's, let's labor at that, knowing that God is the one who reaps the fruit. It is God who changes the heart. So do not bury it, brothers and sisters. Remember the good news of his gospel. Our responsibility is this. Jesus says, be ready and prepared. And the way you are ready and prepared is to be a faithful servant who utilizes the talents and the treasury that he has given you for his glorious kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we know that you are sovereign over all of creation. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would be a people who are ready for your coming, that we are prepared, that we are not lazy or wicked, but prepared. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.